Hello, this is your host, Paul Harvey at Life, Passion and Business. I realise I put this at the end of the programme most of the time. And I also realise I don't often listen to the end of podcasts. So I thought I'd tell you here before we get started. So the first thing is this podcast is not supported in any way. We have no sponsorship. So if you would like to support us, do check out the Buy Me A Coffee link on this podcast app. And you also find it at the website. Okay, before I take you to the podcast, I want to give you a little bit of a reminder about the power of focus and accountability. This is the one tool that will really get you towards the goals you are seeking, towards the path you want to take. So listen to the end to find out more or check out the link in the show notes. Anyway, let's get you back to the podcast. My name is Paul Harvey, and you are listening to Life, Passion and Business, a podcast born out of my desire to find greater meaning in life at the time when I thought there was none. Since that day, I have spoken to hundreds of people. And what I have discovered is that our story is everything. Because what we do, feel or experience is based on the stories that we tell ourselves. It's time to explore what it means to live a good life. How do we make this experience better? And more importantly, how do we lead the world to a better place? I decided that I wanted vacations. And so I planned to be three months in Argentina. And I was super excited about that trip. And then I landed in Argentina and the fourth day that I was there, I didn't know anyone. I just went there for vacation. Somehow Disney Channel had my resume and they reached out by email. I still have that email. Well, we really love your background. And if you're ever in Buenos Aires, give us a call. Communication is the theme of my conversation with Diana Silverfrank. She is a restless soul that was born in Venezuela during the time when it was a vibrant, energetic country, was enticed to move to Argentina and today has landed in Spain. It is her quest to teach others how to communicate to inspire. From her early years, she was a natural communicator, learning to speak before she was one. Her mother was a doctor and her father was a filmmaker. She grew up surrounded by media and developed a passion for writing and exploring. College led her to journalism, a path that was made for her. One of her teachers said that she would be a cult leader, a politician or a persuasive communicator. While at college, she discovered how easy it was to do work when you loved it. Straight out of education, she went into the newsroom, writing and producing. It was some of her most exciting times, loving it more than anything. She dropped into 18-hour days living and sleeping at the office. She lasted three years before she burns out at the age of 26. Journalism and news media had become an addiction for her and she knew that she could never go back. The recovery is a small part of our story. What is more important is the rebuilding that followed. What followed was an adventure into the corporate world, working with an ambassador, creating events and getting mugged 10 times in 10 months. Venezuela was not the vibrant and safe country she was born into. But the universe had plans. Just four days into a sabbatical in Argentina, an email from Disney International appeared on her phone. We've seen your CV. It will be good to chat. Today, Diana is a strategic communications entrepreneur and through her brand, Comunicar par Inspara. She works with foundations, educators and NGOs. She has the capacity to hear what they tell her and tell their stories to inspire media coverage, attract funders and supporters. The journalist is still working hard with the news that is changing the world. 
Let's join the conversation with Diana Silva Franco. Diana, how did it, where did it all begin for you? Where did where did it all start? Oh wow! It starts in Venezuela. It explodes in Argentina, mm. and then it continues in Spain. Oh, oh, what beautiful answers! So, where did, where were you born? <laughs> I was born in Caracas, Venezuela. I was born mm. uh, there in 1981. It was a great time to be born there. Um, lots of culture and arts and and possibilities. It was, you know, we had everything at our hands. And I really enjoyed my childhood there. I I used to go with my mom to museums and theater plays. And, and it was interesting because she's a doctor and she was quite busy. And when I started, you know, growing up and getting you know, a job and all that, I often ask myself, like, how did my mom do this? Because I'm like, I was alone in an apartment and I still didn't have time to do things. I was still really tired. And all I did was work, you know, nine to five. So, um, yeah, I had a really good childhood. Uh, then we moved to a province uh, in, in Venezuela. It was a little farther from the capital. And that was a big change because, um, well, you know, as provinces are, um, I didn't have a lot of culture to be around. Um, the baseball team was a different team and they had a really serious rivalry with, uh, with my team. So it was a bit uncomfortable and it was a bit hard to make friends because I still believed, I, I guess I still believe today, don't tell them, but that... Caracas was the best thing ever. And everything else was like, yeah, whatever. It has to exist. And they were very proud of their province. Mm-hmm. So they didn't like me very much, I guess. Um, and then I moved back to Caracas. I went to live with my grandmother, who's amazing. And I started my professional life there. Um, and then being back to, you know, all the all the culture scene, all the music and seeing old friends. It was fantastic. So it was... I, I, forgive me, I'm going to be really ignorant here because the, the, the Western, well, from my perspective, media view of Venezuela is not very positive. So I'm guessing I'm guessing the history of the country has been tumultuous over the last 30 or so, 40 years. Yes. So could you give us a potted history? Because obviously what you're talking about to me sounds like a vibrant, go-ahead, bustling kind of developing country to me. The sense of what I've seen or hear of now is a country in turmoil. Now, I don't know what the truth is. Oh, well, the truth is uh, we changed governments really radically, you know, as most countries we had this uh, bipartisan democracy so mm-hmm. we had these people that people they alternated um governments and oil and then, oil, is it was oil the big thing for them? oil yes it was oil driven our economy okay. was totally oil driven right um and in 1998 people were unbelievably tired of being played by this party and the other party and the Comandante Chavez came into scene and they decided to vote him. I mean, it had to do something different because he was different. Uh, he had no party. He was just himself. And so he went to win and then he altered the course of the country forever. Um, he dissolved the Congress. He called for a, I don't know the name in English, but it has to do with like a popular assembly. They changed the constitution 
And basically, they started doing things for their own benefit. So that's when things started to change because they started stealing a lot of money, having a lot of corrupt practices, and that affected the economy and, in consequence, everything else. The worst part from for me, for example, was um, like security. When you were walking down the street, you could be robbed, assaulted, you know, everything. Um, the last year I lived in Venezuela in 2010, I was robbed with like a handgun or a knife or beaten to be robbed 10 times. 10 times in 10 months because I went to Argentina in October. So imagine that. And all I would do by that time was wake up, go to work, come back to the apartment, lock myself in. I wouldn't go out, I wouldn't go to party. So all these things happened when I was trying to get to or from work. And it, it gave that me this must feeling. must speak of a country of desperation, though, for people to, 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 to get to that level. That yeah. They've got to be pretty. I mean, I know there are shit people yes. around, but, you know, to be got for you to be got 10 times in 10 months, it, it must yeah. be pretty tough for people to go to that level. And it was actually scary because the worst part of it was that I would I would think, you know, like, how, how do you deal with this? Mm. How do you how do you get out of this? How do you manage this? And it was a sense of insecurity and fear that went with me all the way to Argentina. So when mm. I got to Buenos Aires, you know, people walk around and they go to the theater and then they go to dinner and life there is very, um, very like people go out at night during the day they're working. And then at night, every night of the week, they would go out and they'd be like, yeah, let's walk to the theater. And I couldn't walk in the street. I needed to take a taxi because mm -hmm. I was too stressed and too afraid. So it took me, I believe, a year and a half to get over that and to finally be able to like go out into the yeah, world. You must have some some sadness for your country in that respect, because of the country you spoke about growing up in sounds amazing. I don't particularly miss it. No, I but I mean, there must be a sense, must be a sense that you know, like, because you know, if you if you grew up in an amazing place and it's no longer an amazing place, there is there is a sadness to that on some level. Yeah, there are things that we lost definitely, mm -hmm. and things that we think about when I talk to my friends who are scattered everywhere <clears throat> in the world. Um, we remember those things, and we always ask ourselves, like, oh, are your parents still place? there? Are your parents still um, there? My mother is still there. My father um, moved out with his other family, his newest family, uh, a few years ago because they threatened his daughters. They wanted to kidnap his daughters, and so they went out. Um, so I still have a, a few members of my family there, but most of my friends and my family, they're out. Mm. And sometimes we ask ourselves or ask people who's there, like, does this place still exist? Does this, like... It, everything changed. The places where I used to go when I was little, they're not there anymore. Um, so we miss a country that doesn't exist anymore yeah. and that will not exist again. So for me, I went back to Venezuela in 2013 and then I never went back. I decided never to visit again because it was too stressful. On one hand, it was like, oh, I was super afraid just thinking about it. And on the other hand, I I don't have a lot of people to see anymore.
Mm. Well, that's the point. So. They've all left. They, they all did the same thing as you did. They went, I've enough of this. <laughs> yes. Um, so it's just and of course memory. the trouble with that is the trouble with that is yeah, all right getting on geopolitics and this the trouble with that of course is that the country loses its best people because the best people don't stay and so you know the people trying to pick up the pieces are not the best people for the job so it, it, it yeah. is tough it is tough yeah i mean all the all the professionals and all mm. the people like we our culture is very much founded on the you know you have to study you have to prepare you have to be really good and then you go out to the world and find a job. But you have to study it. You have to, like, you know, just build all this knowledge before you go and work. And so we go, we study, we do the master, we do the PhD by the time we're 25. Like, everything just really, um, really fast. And then we all left. So the people who's there now, um, they don't have the same opportunities because many universities closed and then the other institutions, the public universities don't have any funding. So it's very difficult to, you know, get the teachers and the books and, and study. Um, so people grow up immediately thinking about living. Mm. You don't even consider to, you know, like stay, work with your family, like that's not an option anymore. If you so, have to study, you have to leave. Obviously, your early years there were beautiful. You had a wonderful time. What was what was you know, what was your passion in that time? What was what was driving you? It was always communication. Oh, lovely. I uh, my father is a filmmaker, and he had a company to, that produced uh, films and documentaries and all this stuff. So when I was six or seven, he started using me as a stunt actor actress for his uh films and it would just be there i remember playing a chinese girl i don't look that chinese anymore but when i was little i did i promise so i it was really fun we were doing a documentary about artisanal paper and how paper is done and yeah i did that and i loved you know the camera and the producers i always enjoyed being behind cameras and understanding how the process worked so that that was like my first approach to it. Then my mom, when I was around 13, she had a radio show and it was a radio show for parents and kids. And so I would um, read the news. And the first time I did that, I was like, wow, I want to do this. I want to do this for a living. Nice. And, and yeah, it was, a, it was a very easy decision. You know, some kids spend years trying to figure out what they want to do when they grow up. I knew it. I finished school. I started college. I had no doubts. So what did you do at college? Um, so I went to college to study journalism in, in Barquisimeto, which is where my mom lives still. Mm. Um, and at first I was a little frustrated because it was a private university. And you know how public universities have all the prestige and private universities are for people who didn't study that hard in high school, let's be honest. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a little frustrating, but pretty soon I just, I started making friends. I started learning about what I really enjoyed to do. Um, my teachers were very happy with me because I was always, you know, participating and bringing ideas because I was super happy doing this. And one of my teachers said that I would grow up to become a, a cult leader a politician or a very persuasive communicator because she could see she was my politics and communication teacher 
And when she said the whole cult leader thing, it was really funny because I was like, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about that. A cult leader is a bit of a, a bit of a stretch, isn't it? <laughs> it? It was. It didn't look that illegal back then. Now it's like, yeah, no, you don't want to do that. But but I really enjoyed my years in college. It was yeah. it was easy. Yeah. And then I understood it's easy when you really enjoy something, when you love something. Because high school that's was the difference. Really hard. When when you're switched on to it, 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 it comes so easy. Is when you when it's hard, it's just it, it, that's that's the truth of it. It's always a struggle when it's hard. Yeah. So that's how I knew that I made the right choice. You know, it was like so you five choose, years. You didn't by. choose to leave there and go to Hollywood then. That wasn't your that wasn't your choice. No, I wasn't really into that whole thing. I I liked <clears throat> to boss around people. So I would ah. be the director or the, the executive producer. Be like, you do that and you do that and you do, shut up. You don't do that. Like I would totally be that oh, person. You got, you got, was, you've got the moves. I can see you could do that quite well. Did you I was that person for a few being years. a producer. Did you do <laughs> did you do production? I did, I did. I, I produced news. I worked for about three years in um in a news show. It was the evening news. And it was great. It was great. I I burned out at 26, let's be honest. But the previous years, I, I still remember them as the best years ever. It was my first job right out of school. I was earning good money. I was working a lot. Where, where was, was this? It was the TV station, the national TV station in my country. Okay. So I started as an intern. And they could see how much I loved everything. I would stay longer hours. I would ask around. I would, you know, befriend the older journalists so they would explain things to me. And so they started, like, using me more and more, giving me more responsibilities. And so by the time I was 24, um, I was a reporter, a producer, I was um, coordinating the international yes. section. There's no surprise you got no surprise you got burnt out, is there? By the time you're 26, if you're doing if you're doing that sort of stuff, I was working 18 hours a day. Oh wow! I wouldn't go back home. I forgot my own birthdays. Mm. Um, I remember my boyfriend would pick up clothes from the apartment and bring them to the channel so I could change clothes because I wouldn't go back home. So yeah, when when I got burnt out, it was like. It didn't feel like, wow, how did this happen? I totally knew what happened. And I had to give up journalism. It was probably it was some sort of a drug. You know, you get addicted to this. Again, if you love something, you don't feel like you're... But there's also the energy of that. There's that energy of like, you know, we're going to make this happen. There's that energy of push, isn't there? And then it's it, there's ego involved in there and all sorts of stuff in there. Yes. And I, I mean... I, I worked in corporate and, and I, you know, and there were projects on and and there were people in that company that would do all nighters to make the project happen. You know, and it's like, oh, come on, guys. Do we really need to you want to be proud of it? Do we need and, to do it every, every time? Do we always need to get this deadline with an all nighter involved? Because it, you know, it's like, oh, by, by pulling the project in and it's like. We don't need to do this this way, do we? We we have a choice on this. <laughs> yeah, we could do better. I, I learned. I think that's my my biggest lesson. I mean, yeah. I could do better. I could have done all of that and still go home, get some rest, eat properly, 
Mm. You know, like take care of myself, but I completely forgot about that because I was so excited about what I was doing. So the, I, I guess the issue with that one is it's actually very good to have people that energize that energize. What's the issue with it is the organization shouldn't allow it to get that bad. They should try and that's bad management because if you manage that energy, you'd have a much more vibrant organization rather than having this boom and bust. Because you were yeah. a, you were a valid employee and they lost you. Yeah. Because you could and they, go and, yeah. And it was really interesting because that you think about it, and it's like this this really big mistake companies still do today. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking 2006, 2007, so way back. But still today, I see companies where the people who get more done and the people who work and have better deliverables are the people who get more work and more responsibility and have to stay longer and have to cover up for people who are not doing their job well. So instead of rewarding us, you end up burning us because mm. you give us twice the work and we want to do it right because I've always believed this. If my name is there, this is this has to be flawless. This, this has to be near perfect. And that belief was what in the end was, yeah, I couldn't handle it. And I had to take like six months of, of leave so how did, you, how did you put yourself back together again? What did that what did that require? I don't know if this is appropriate to say, but lots of pills. <laughs> lots of what? Pills, like oh, medication. Pills. Oh, the drugs. Okay, yeah, drugs, drugs will do it. <laughs> I mean, you can argue that medication is not great for many reasons, and I'll give you that. But it's true that medicine has evolved so much, and we have medication that really helps you get better so if you need to take it you go to the doctor you agree on the treatment and you go on because for me i had to go back move back with my mother give up the phone give up the the television like i was isolated because of course every time i heard something every time i, I knew of something i wanted to like call my friends in the tv station and go cover this and go do that you know i was bossing them around in the middle of a burnout crisis. That's weird. Um, so they had to completely isolate me. And I did medication, I did therapy. Um, and then when I went back to the doctor, she was like, you know that the next step is going to be the hardest. You need to give up this. You can't go back to news. No, so- because you, you've got a pattern that you're not going to break. You're just going to go straight back and do it again, aren't you? Of course. I mean, it's an addiction. I know. It's an addiction. That's what it is, really, isn't it? You know. It is. It is. Yeah. So I had to go to corporate, mm-hmm. which felt like the worst thing ever at first. It was like going to the dark side. You know, journalists, they work really hard. They're in the street. They're with people. Corporate, it's like you're in an office and you have aircon. And at 5 p.m., you leave no matter what. So it felt like, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. A week later, in my new office, I was like, "Yeah, I did the right thing." <laughs> yeah, good for you. Good for you. So eventually, so, you, yeah. so how many? That's a few years ago, is it? That, that, that yeah, many years ago. It was like two thousand and five. Oh wow! And wow! One. Wow! So what? Yeah. What did? Where did you take you? Where did life take you next? Oh, I did a lot of different things. I one of the things I have, and I'm a typical millennial, if you may. I don't stay long in jobs because I get bored. Mm. And so I would be two, three years here and there. Um, I was for a year in an embassy and I was in charge of like the culture uh, 
stuff like nice. all the shows nice. and the exhibitions nice. and the you, you got some good tickets there best job i got to produce shows <gasps> that were amazing oh wow and i met like the most fascinating people oh wow well, I it love was you. just it was a year but it felt like i did why only a year five years what? because um you know diplomats they have missions like very specific oh. missions and so my boss was in his final year uh, in Venezuela, and when he left, I had to leave. He was oh, like, oh, no. that's disappointing. Yeah, it is. Um, but then right after that, uh, I decided that I needed a break. <laughs> of course, I didn't take any vacations in no, all those of course, years. Of course not. Well, you, did the same, me, you did the same thing again, didn't you? You just worked hard. Yeah. yeah. But I, I decided that I wanted vacations, and so I planned to be three months in Argentina. And I was super excited about that trip. I, you know, I did my suitcase and I said goodbye to my friends. I was like, oh, I'll see you soon. I'll, you know, I'll tell you everything about it. And then I landed in Argentina. And the fourth day that I was there, I didn't know anyone. I just went there for vacation. Somehow Disney Channel had my resume. And they reached out by email. I still have that email. Uh, and they were like, well, we really love your background. And if you're ever in Buenos Aires, give us a call. Hang on a minute. Yeah. I know. You went to Argentina just on holiday and just Disney just happened to phone you while you were there. They sent me an email because, of course, my phone number was from Venezuela. I didn't have a phone no. in Argentina. No, no, no. So no. they emailed me and it was like, if you're ever in Buenos Aires, give us a call. And I'm like, this is a prank from yeah, some yeah, of my friends yeah. like somebody did this that's so mean and so I emailed the few friends that knew I was in Buenos Aires and I was like this is so not cool like guys don't do this it's not okay and one of my one of my friend's friends who lived in Argentina he answered back and he said this is for real like these people do have an office in Olivos this but like look for this person on LinkedIn. If you can find them there, this is for real. Like send them an email. You have nothing to lose. And I was like, do you think it's for real? It's like, don't lose this opportunity. If it's nothing, it's nothing. But if it's something, hey, like wouldn't that be great? So I sent Diana an email. Cynthia Diana was her name. And she was like, oh my God, you're what I this. Can you come to the office the day after tomorrow? Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, what is happening? I had, like, I didn't have any work clothes. I only had, like, tank tops and skirts and flip-flops because I was there in the summer. So I went very relaxed. And then all of a sudden, I have a job interview <laughs> in another country. And I'm, like, borrowing clothes from a girl that I met in the hostel where I was staying because I didn't have anything to wear. I went there. It was Disney Channel. Uh, I did the interview. The person who ended up being my boss, she walked past the office and Cynthia was like, oh, let me call Marcela. You need to meet her. I met her. And like 30 minutes later, they were like, you need to do your paperwork because of course you need, you know, an ID, a residence permit and all this stuff. You need to do your paperwork. And you have sort of like, they gave me like 45 days. Like you have this time to make this happen. Your contract is going to be here waiting for you. And I leave that place and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> I felt like in the Truman Show, you know, the movie. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone's recording. They're like, what is happening? <laughs> so I started calling people and being like, okay, how do you do this? What papers do I need? I called the embassy um, in, in Argentina. And I was like, guys, I need this paperwork. I had a friend from when I worked in the TV station. Yeah. She went to live in Argentina and I didn't know. And when I went to the embassy, she was there as the diplomat in culture and press. Edimar, you don't have a lot of Edimars anywhere. And I'm like, excuse me, can I talk to this lady? Oh, yeah, who is this? Diana Silva. So I go to her office and she starts screaming like, (laughs) everything that's happening. And she's like, we're going to make this happen. I'm going to help you. I help you with everything. And so she helped me get my like my birth certificate, a copy of my Venezuelan ID and my information, all of this paperwork that is super complicated for people to, you know, like move countries. I managed to get it in 30 days. I put everything in and then another incredible moment happened. So I I requested my appointment and it said that I had a six month wait. So six months, it was like, that's not going to help me. I have to go back home. And I got really frustrated. I called my mom and I was like crying and my God, I can't believe I have this opportunity and I'm going to lose it because I can't get my residency on time. And my brother started ranting on Twitter. He was super upset. He was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. People don't give opportunities like this and she has to give it up because the ministry, the Ministerio del Interior, you know, the the, Mm. um, domestic affairs ministry, is like super delayed with appointments, blah, 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 blah. And he got a message from the minister <laughs> asking what happened. Like, you know, I've been following your, what happened? This happened, blah, blah, blah. Okay, give me her number. So I'm laying in a dentist office that I had as a home back then because I was poor, obviously. Um, I'm laying there super frustrated. I lost this amazing opportunity. My phone rings. I had a little... Um, mobile phone that was ridiculous. Like I couldn't even text. Yeah. And I'm like, hello. He's like, um, is this Diana Silva? Yes. Okay, we're calling from the Ministerio del Interior. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what did I do? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy is like, can you be here today at like I don't know three p.m. Uh, with everything that you have, like all your papers and everything, so we want to help you. Were you in uh, Argentina or back home? I was in Argentina. Okay. I was like 15 days away from having to go back home and right. losing my Disney job. Yeah. And they called me. I went there. They were real. Because the, in all these situations, you know, you get this phone call and you're like, someone's playing me. This is impossible. Got there. The guy was waiting for me. We had an interview. I gave him every paper that I had, every document, a letter from Disney that I had to speed up things, everything. And 40 minutes later, I had my ID, my Argentinian ID. So end of January 2011, but then um, I started working on Disney Channel. And it was, this was just the beginning of an amazing time. It was almost 12 years of pure magic, just as with the Disney opportunity, just as with the Ministerio del Interior. Lots of things happened all the time that reminded me that I was supposed to live there. 
like many things, even when things were really hard and, and, you know, you doubt yourself, you know, what am I doing here? You know, my family's in Venezuela. I'm here. Why are we so far away? Something happened. And it reminded me that my place was in Buenos Aires. Wow. What is amazing for me on this is that some people will manifest this. They will basically dream of the process and using, I mean, I, it's a bit woo-woo saying manifest things, but some people do manifest stuff. But what, what's actually happening here is they are focused on that opportunity. And because they're so focused, they 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 see opportunities, the things that take them closer and closer and closer to it. See, I don't think manifestation is that magical, really. I think it's just a way we tune our brain into something. But you weren't manifesting anything here. It just happened for you. Or were you secret? Were you secretly manifesting it without realizing it? No, I had no idea. And, and people who know me, um, they can attest to this. I never planned, talked about, dreamed of leaving Venezuela. Because you're, I believe that you, I was you, just stuck there. You're the forever. sort of person that gives the secret a bad name. I mean, the story didn't end in Argentina. Okay. Okay. So, uh-huh. like, manifestation is a thing i do believe that but i believe in magic i believe that things well, I, come... I, I, if you, I would believe in magic too if i went on holiday and had a had a, had, a, had an email from from disney with my with my dream job <laughs> well, but i'm gonna prove that manifestation works okay. um so in 2017 i one of the things that was my probably my favorite thing in my time in argentina is that every year i could travel between three and five times how did I do that? I still don't know because I had a really like, you know, communication is not well paid. On top of that, Argentina is very expensive. So I had a very standard salary and still I would save money. I would make things happen and I would travel and visit my friends and, you know, get to know new places. In 2017, I came to Spain and I came to visit a friend that had come to live here a few months earlier. And she was like super, you know, like missing the country and missing everything. I was like, okay, Gonna go visit you. I'm gonna bring your favorite food, your favorite like the mate, you know, the 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 herb, that thing that they drink that I don't like, by the way. So I'm gonna bring you things and I'm gonna cheer you up. I came, and while I was in Madrid, her boyfriend at the time, he's from the Basque country. So he's like, okay, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Barcelona. I'm going to Madrid, and you're not coming to Bilbao. And I'm like, oh well. No, I didn't have any plans to go to Bilbao. He was like, no, this weekend we're driving, we're going there. You're going to see my city. You're going to meet my family. You're going to love it. And so we came to Bilbao. We were here like four or five days, walking around, eating, meeting friends, you know. And the day that I was leaving, I, I was holding Catalina's hand, my friend, and I told her, dude, this, this is the city I want to live in. I love this place. And we started laughing because... I was in a dead-end job. I had absolutely no money. I didn't have a way to get the residency permit because as a Venezuelan, we're not really, you know, wanted in other countries. We're not very popular nowadays. So when I said it, it was like, you're like, oh, yeah, I would love to live there. But I, I had no means to get here. That was in 2017. Fast forward 2022, same day. 2nd of April, I landed here 
And this is where I've been living for a year. Wow. Wow. It worked eventually. Manifestation works. It took me five years to get here. Let's be honest. It's not a like a super fast um so, process. Uh, hang on a minute. I'm just curious. You said dead end job. Did the Disney job not work out then? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> It was a horrible job. Uh, I wasn't happy there. I had, I, I have some of the best friends uh, from that job. It's true. So, so all that effort yeah. to get some amazing organization didn't turn out to be quite so amazing. Yeah, no, it didn't work. Well, but but the point about it is, it got you into Argentina, didn't it? That's the point. I mean, I was so happy in Argentina, and when this opportunity to like move to Europe happened, I actually doubted. Mm. for a few okay for a few days i'm not gonna lie it was just a matter of like two days those two days i was like should i go and give up everything that i have done and everything that i've built here or should i stay and just go visit or like, should i do like it was really weird and also the work happened and then my friends were worried so how like, did- are you going there Where, what what's gonna happen like here you're safe and it's yeah, yeah, I was safe in Argentina, but I had to try something new. You do. What, what, <laughs> so, what, so what was the decider for you? What made you think, actually, Bilbao was the place to be? How did you make um, that decision? Well, I was, my husband wanted to move to either Madrid or Barcelona. Ah, that helps. Because those are the big countries. Yeah. Uh, the, the big cities, sorry. And, and he was like, you know, he had never been in Spain before. So for him, it was like a bit weird not to be in the big places in the in the right places people would say but then I was free to choose which city I wanted to live and I was like you know what we're gonna land in Bilbao Mm -hmm. then we will see if something happens and we need to change cities fine we will do but I always said I wanted to live in Bilbao how could I go to Spain and not be in the city that I really want to be and it was here. We so found an apartment. I'm, I'm assuming you met your husband in Argentina. Yes. So that's why you had to go to Argentina then, wasn't it? And you'd never met him. So there you go. Reason. Do you want to laugh? Do you want to laugh at something? <laughs> you know, the, the curious thing is, and, and my therapist is very proud of this, I spent years, because I had a boyfriend, we were together for like seven years, then we broke up. Mm-hmm. And my therapist would tell me, like, you need to try to date Argentinians. Why don't you date Argentinians? I'm like, you know, that's so third world. Hello, third world. What's happening? <laughs> so I was like, no, 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 no. I want to date other people, people who travel, people who know other places and stuff. And one day, middle of the pandemic, I was super bored. I knew I couldn't travel. And so I was home and I was like, hey, I'm going to give it a try. Let me like see the landscape in Argentina once, and that's it. I swiped, swiped, swiped. I saw this guy, beautiful eyes. I liked him. I closed the app and I was like, there's nothing. <laughs> like in Buenos Aires, there is nothing. And it was very dramatic note. Like, like I would tell my therapist, nothing, I'm gonna die alone. And that night, that was in the afternoon. So in the evening, I see I have a message. I opened and it was this guy with the beautiful eyes. And he was like, hi, what are you doing? And we started talking and we like we said goodnight at 4 a.m. Two months later, we were living together because pandemic, you know, like, let's go wild. 
the the world is ending anyway. And a year later, we got married and and we came to to Spain together. Nice, nice. So yeah, that life is magic. Life is so magic. magic. So that has been an amazing journey. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. <laughs> it's been a lovely journey. So how do you define success for yourself? Freedom. Mm-hmm. Has it always been that for you? Uh, no. Of course, when I had my ego talking for me, doing my PR, let's say, yeah. uh, my ego would have told you success is having a really nice job position. Mm. Something that sounds so cool and so like big, you know, I'm like 150, something that makes me sound like I'm two meters high. Yeah. And earning a lot of money, but like lots of money, money that I can't even make the time to spend. That is success. Success is traveling first class of all time. Yeah, fabulous. And I did some of that. I didn't have, like, I spent all the money that I earned. <laughs> Let's not lie to each other. I did. <laughs> um, and I didn't get to travel first class a lot. But I wasn't happy. Because I felt, I, I was always chasing that image that others would see as successful. But I had no idea what I wanted. I was going to get married before going to Argentina. I was going to get married to a guy who wanted to have three kids. Mm-hmm and stay in Venezuela. He's still living in Venezuela, actually. And I had dreams. I wanted to travel. I wanted to, you know, visit different places, get familiar with different cultures. He was like, oh, we could go to the beach this weekend. Mm. That was his idea of traveling. So I had no idea what I wanted. And when I started distancing myself from my family, my friends, my acquaintances, my bosses, Everyone who would tell me, you know, like their version of success for me, I was alone living in a dentist office in Argentina. <laughs> and I would sit in the dentist chair and be like, what do I want? Why are you? Li- oh, no, let's not go there. It's opening a dentist chair. I don't go. I was four, I told you. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I was just sitting there and I would ask myself, like, many days in a row, why do I want? I'm staying in Argentina, fine, but. Why? Why do I want to get from this? And I decided I was going to stay for a year and then go back home and start living my life. And it turns out that living my life implied staying in Buenos Aires, being away from those influences to have the quiet, the space, the the, the safety to explore different things until I could find what I really wanted. And what I wanted was freedom. Mm. That was it. So have you found freedom now? Do you have freedom? Yes. Good. Yes. I'm, <laughs> I squeezed a visit to the Guggenheim Museum a couple of days ago at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. And I posted something on Instagram and a couple of my friends were like, are you doing it? I'm saying, don't you have a job? Like, don't you have anything to do? Why are you going to be assumed on a Tuesday? And I was like, oh, I don't know. This is part of my creative process. I come to the museum, I see beauty, and then I go home and I feel good. I work with a different, you know, like energy. And one of them was like, yeah, right. <laughs> that was her answer. 
<laughs> because I I do have the freedom to you know sit down and have amazing conversations like this in the middle of a workday. Mm. I can travel. I'm I'm leaving because one of my best friends is getting married, and I'm taking a month off to just go and enjoy and and getting wedding mood before everyone else arrives. And I can do that. And I. One thing that I really enjoy is realizing that I felt I started feeling more free when I got married. Okay. And I, I guess it has to do with the fact that my husband is unbelievably patient and tolerant and he smiles at me all the time. He's like, every idea I have, he's like, okay, let's think about that. <laughs> So let's let's let's, let's cover com- let's cover uh, so uh, contribution. So how do you sit with contribution? How do you contribute to the world? I bring joy and light. I'm light. I'm like I'm super bright. People look at me here because I wear bright colors, and they're like, I'm enthusiastic. I'm I'm happy. Even when I don't feel cheerful, I know I'm happy. And I try to you know just throw that out into the world. See if someone catches it mm, and, absolutely. and keeps it absolutely so how do you contribute to yourself i allow myself to rest i allow myself to turn off which is something i didn't know how to do yeah, years ago you've learned to do that now now it's like you know what i want to take a nap okay i'm gonna take a and then i'm gone or i do nothing i sit in the couch listening to an audiobook and not even paying attention to the audiobook. It's just to have something to do, but not really. I'm just relaxing. Um, because I do understand that if I don't feel 100%, then it's like I can't contribute to the world. So, you know, we touched on this idea that you said about you, your, your success metric is freedom, and that's what you, that's what you kind of measured the thing by. And clearly you've got some ideas about why you're doing what you're doing. So what's the meaning of it all? Why are we here? I mean, I mean, for some people that's God, for some people that's not God. But I mean, you know, and it can be anywhere in between that. But what is it for you? For me, it's connection. We are humans. We're all humans. And the more people we meet, the more people we talk with, the more people we allowed to see us because mm. you know sometimes we can put a bunch of layers oh, so I that they don't ve- see I think us. very few people allow their true self to be seen yeah but when we do the connection is mm. magical yeah, yeah because yeah. it's a human talking to another human not you know Diana talking to Paul and being like oh yeah I love doing so this. is this oh, the yeah, sa- your is, is, is great is this the same Diana I would meet on the streets absolutely really i yeah I, I i try i try to be the same i don't i think there's a slight heightened bit when i'm doing this sort of work i'm slightly a bit more i think that's no i think, I think... i'm too enthusiastic that's what my husband sometimes because <laughs> i have this energy probably all day every day what is it that you and you know I, I can get a real sense of who you are now and how, how this all comes together so what is it you do for people and who more importantly are you looking for Comunicar para inspirar is my response to the need of, of exposure that I have perceived from NGO leaders and social entrepreneurs and change makers in general. Mm-hmm. Um, my role is to help them uh, be seen and be heard by creating 
an identity that is authentic. Um, and then um, messages, key messages that express their goals that are realistic and at the same time that, you know, show that they dream big because mm. usually change makers do dream big. And developing communication and content strategies that reflect this identity and this vision um, so that they can inspire their audiences. And, and what's the outcome for that? What are they, what, I mean, what, I mean, like, you know, it's like, what, what do they get? I mean, all right, I've got an inspired audience. Now what happens? Well, usually what should happen, of course, is that um, they find a way to build a bridge between themselves and their organization and their audience, which can be potential advocates, supporters, volunteers, and more importantly, investors. Ah, yes, of course. You see, I mean, I'm, I'm coming from the business world. So the, 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 the third sector, as they call it in this country, <laughs> I don't know if they call it the same way you are, but the third sector is a, is a bit of anathema because it's quite, it, it has very different values. So yeah, it, it, it works very differently because I mean, they're, they're motivated by changing the world mm. by doing something bigger than themselves. And while I, I'm from the corporate world as well, and we work with different words, with different thinking, with with different imagery, if, if you may. So when you think about um, these organizations and these projects, is completely different because but, they have to come from passion. They have to... it's, it's more than that, though. It's more than that because because this is the path of where we need to take the world and business. What you know, they call it a third sector. It needs to be the only sector because what you've got at the moment is a world where the focus is always on profit maximization and shareholder value, and we're burning the planet in the process. We've got to get to the point where the the real bonus has to be human not not development it's not the word i'm looking for but it has to be about the people the planet the place the environment and the profit needs to needs to happen but it can't be more important than everything else i mean it should be human centered and i'm pretty sure that's the oh, word you've got the words that i don't have you see <laughs> <laughs> hey that's what i do yeah but it has to be human centered because let's be honest if we don't start acting on the issues we have right now and that we can feel that we can see every day um there's going to come a time where when we will not have more time like that'll be it you can't start fixing something once it's completely broken mm. so it is true that is very important and my desire to help um this sector and these kind of people comes from that you know you you see these people working and you realize you can build a different narrative, mm. a narrative that is positive, a narrative that changes the world, even if it is one neighborhood, one community, or one village at a time. You mm. have to start somewhere, even if it is small. Because if we don't start small with myself, if I don't start changing myself and my habits and my consumption, I can't aspire to, you know, build a different world from home. So we have to start somewhere. So how will people find you if they want to? They can find me on my website, which is dianasilvafranco.com. That's mm -hmm. very easy. Mm -hmm. um, and there they will see what I do, who I work with, 
um, my social channels, my email. Um, they have all the all the possibilities to reach out. So all of those links will be at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. This has been a fantastic conversation. I wasn't sure where this was going to go, and I've really, really enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much you. for being Thank here with so me today. Much. It's been an thank absolute you. joy to have you here, and, and I'm so surprised at the journey you've had. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. Well, all the best. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, Diana Silva-Franco. If you'd like to catch up with Diana, you can find her at her website, which is dianasilvafranco.com. You can also find her on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Now, all of those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. And while you are there... Okay, as I mentioned at the beginning, now is the time to discover how to find some more focus in your life and get things done. So we're all looking to move forward. We all want to find some measure of success in the world. And if you've heard the podcast, you know I have a view of success, but that's another conversation. The point is, however you look at this, we want to get things done. You might want to get a project over the line. You might have a really big goal that you're looking to to move, to move forward on. And the problem is... Whenever we start these projects, whenever we do anything like this, there's always some resistance. There's always something that gets in the way. And that can be a multitude of things. Um, But the key to this is how do we retain focus and stay with the project and push it over the line? And that's where focus coaching can help. Now, it's it's a process that I discovered some 15 years ago during my coach training. And it's something sometimes called focus coaching, turbo coaching, speed coaching. And it's a really simple process where we we define what it is you're trying to achieve. And we look at the resistance that you're experiencing in that achievement. Come up with some strategies to solve that resistance. Commit to setting a date and I hold your feet to the fire to make sure that you do that so there's a commitment there's an accountability process and that's it that's basically how it works you get it done and I can tell you it is so powerful when you start working in this way particularly when you work with someone who supports you in the process of doing it and one thing to remember you know success is never guaranteed but the struggle always is And that's what this coaching is designed to do. It's designed to get you through the struggle towards the success you're looking for. So do check out the uh, link on this podcast or at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. You will find a video of me again explaining this process. But if you go below the video, there's a booking link where we'll have a discussion about your project and how we could get you sorted. As always, if you have enjoyed this podcast, if you found anything here of any use, please share it with a friend because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts. If you can, give us a review. Give us a five-star review. I have to ask for five stars. Why not? I think I'm worth it. When you support a podcast in that way, you have no idea how effective it is, both in terms of supporting us on the platform, but it also makes us feel good. Yes, it makes me feel good, and I like to feel good. As always, thank you for your time and attention. I will catch you next time.